This is Yudaha Kohen welcoming you to the 50th episode of The Next Stage. I hope you've been enjoying our podcast and the perspectives we offer on issues pertaining to Jewish liberation in this unique and exciting chapter of our people's story. One of our goals for this podcast, and for Vision Magazine in general, is to really encourage listeners to think outside the box and to step outside of your political comfort zones in order to start relating to contemporary issues and current events through an understanding of Israel's worldview and historic mission. If you've been listening to the show long enough, I hope that you can recognize that the challenges facing the Jewish people in our generation are really not that overwhelming when compared to what the children of Israel have already overcome in the last hundred years. The ability to appreciate what's already been accomplished, the ingathering of our exiles, the revival of our ancient language, the liberation of our country from British rule, and so much more, should really strengthen us to pursue and achieve the next objectives of Jewish liberation. And I hope that this show has helped you learn not to limit yourselves to the options generally presented to us by our political leaders and media, but to actually figure out what you believe to be the ideal, and to practically move reality and history towards that ideal. Given the season, I thought it appropriate to dedicate this 50th episode to exploring some of the new dates that have been added to the Hebrew calendar since the establishment of the State of Israel. I asked my good friend Justin Ellis, who's really at the forefront of Jewish identity education in the diaspora, to join me for this discussion, where we really work to unpack and clarify what these dates are all about. There's actually a lot of confusion surrounding Yom HaShoah, Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaAtzma'ut, and Yom Yerushalayim that I hope we can help alleviate with this episode. This is really one of my favorite times of year, because it shows us that our history is alive. We should really appreciate the fact that Jews living in recent chapters of our people's story were able to do things of such significance that they actually added new festivals to our calendar where we have special tefillot and customs. I find this very empowering because it shows us that we're capable of partnering with the Kedosh Baruch Hu and participating in history to the point where we can also do things in our lives that add new festivals to our calendar. And that's exactly the lesson I think we should be deriving from these days. The 28th of Iyar, Yom Yerushalayim, where we celebrate our return to Jerusalem during the Six-Day War, shouldn't mark the end of our story, but rather a transition, the beginning of the next chapter that requires a new Jewish liberation movement that can really address Zionism's many flaws while at the same time protect its positive achievements. In any case, we put a lot of work into this podcast and really hope it's useful in helping listeners develop a vision for what Jewish liberation can look like today. If you haven't already please don't forget to subscribe to Vision Magazine podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and or Spotify. And please leave a positive rating and review because that can really help us to spread these ideas to a much wider audience. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at visionmag.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, if you're interested in supporting the show or sponsoring an episode, please contact us by heading over to visionmag.org and clicking Contact on the menu bar up top. Now with all that out of the way, I'd like to invite you to enjoy our 50th episode featuring a conversation with Justin Ellis on what these unique dates on the Hebrew calendar are really all about. This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and
and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. This is our 50th episode, 5-0, and I wanted to make it special. So I decided, given the time of year we're in, that we should focus on the new dates of significance that have been added to our calendar, to the Hebrew calendar in recent decades. And joining me on the show to discuss these days that have been added to our calendar is Justin Ellis, who uh, longtime listeners should be familiar with. Uh, Justin is the executive director of the Fuel for Truth organization in New York City, uh, which is really, I would say, a gateway drug to Jewish national consciousness. Uh, Justin, welcome back. Hey, Yuna, thanks for having me and uh, Mazal Tov on the 50th episode. Thank you. So I think that these dates, these dates of significance that have been added to our calendar are confusing to a lot of people for many different reasons. I think each one is confusing uh, in its own right, and some are even not sure about whether or not we can or should be adding festivals or special days to our calendar. But before we get into that, I'm a little bit curious how these dates are related to in the diaspora. Uh, we're talking, of course, about Yom HaShoah, or as it's actually called and should be called Yom HaZikaron, the Shoah V'Lagvura, uh, Yom HaZikaron, uh, Yom HaTzma'ut, and then eventually Yom Yerushalayim. So how are these dates related to, you know, I know that you are very much plugged in to the pro-Israel Jewish community in New York, and you even travel to California and Florida and other places in the course of your work. So how would you say these days are really related to or observed in the pro-Israel scene in the United States? To be honest, I'd say it's actually pretty similar to the way many secular Israelis observe them or celebrate them, maybe just on a lower level, because obviously in Israel, you are living and breathing that, uh, not to mention in the case of Yom HaZikron and Yom HaTzma'ut, you know, nearly every citizen of the country, especially the Jewish citizens, are veterans of the IDF and have served and certainly know people who have fallen in battle, giving their lives for the state. You know, just like uh, for Yom HaShoah, you know, plenty of American Jews not only have uh, ancestors who are survivors of the Shoah, but that's also something that's very deeply connected within our community uh, and something that's more universally recognized and appreciated. Uh, so off the bat, I would really say it's kind of similar to the way most secular Israelis definitely think about it or observe it. And I would definitely use that as kind of a baseline point. All right. So uh, let's jump in. Uh, the first is Yom HaZikaron Neshuav Lagvura which translates into English as Remembrance Day for the Holocaust and the Heroism. Now, Yom HaZikron L'Shoah V'Lagvura really requires a lot of demystification. First of all, because I think many Israelis and probably most diaspora Jews who even acknowledge the date are relating to it as a sad day, which is actually incredibly problematic according to our culture. In the month of Nisan, we're still in the month of Nisan, and in the month of Nisan, we do not have sad days. Mm -hmm. So that can't be what this is. And, you know, sometimes when I try to explain this, people are really taken aback. Well, what, what do you mean? How can Yom HaShoah not be a sad day? And the truth is, it's not the only date on our calendar where we remember or commemorate the Holocaust. We have Tisha B'Av, you know, the ninth day of the month of Av, where we remember the national catastrophe, not exclusively, it's one of many, but really one of the greatest and most recent, 
uh, catastrophes that we remember on Tisha B'Av. You know, the ninth of Av is the date on which Jerusalem was destroyed twice by foreign conquerors. And we kind of mark the second time as the beginning of the Roman exile. And everything that happened to us in exile as a result of what the Romans did on the ninth of Av is really related to by us as a derivative of what the Romans had done. So meaning the actual destruction of Jerusalem and the beginning of the exile is like the primary injustice, whereas everything that happened to us as a result of that injustice is a derivative of that. And really the climax of that was the Holocaust. So I think the 9th of Av is really the date where the Jewish people collectively remember the national catastrophe that the Holocaust was. The fact that Amalek took 6 million of our people out of the world. But the 10th of Tevet is the date that was designated for the losses that we suffered on a personal level. Of course, most Jews who had been killed in the Shoah, we didn't know what dates they actually died. We didn't know their sites. So the date that was assigned to every victim of the Holocaust whose date of death was unknown became the 10th of Tevet. So already we have the 9th of Av, which is the national day of mourning, and the 10th of Tevet, which is the personal day of mourning, now, these, of course, were already days of mourning on a calendar, already days on which we fast, but what they relate to covers this. But Yom HaShoah is something completely different. It actually commemorates an event that began on the 14th of Nisan. It was just like moved because of Pesach, obviously. And that's the beginning of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Meaning what Yom HaZikron HaShoah V'Lagvura is really all about is remembering the fact that in the midst of all of that horror, a few of us actually managed to make some Nazis bleed. This is really all about the armed resistance that Jews in the ghettos and in the forests and in the camps, you know, not so many, unfortunately, but those who did, that is really what we remember on Yom HaZikron, the Shoah and uh, again, it's not a judgment on those who didn't or couldn't fight, you know, who are we to judge? This isn't the glorification of violence. You know, we need to acknowledge that within the context of such a system, right, like what the Nazis had created, fighting back was really an expression of reclaiming our humanity. You know, one of the primary ways that the Germans were able to control us and prevent us from resisting, even in situations where we greatly outnumbered them, was by creating the conditions for each of us to be exclusively concerned with our own personal survival. So celebrating those who fought back on Yom HaZikaron L'Shuav V'Lagvura isn't glorifying violence, but actually acknowledging those who were able to break free from the Nazi-induced mentality of narrow self-preservation in order to challenge evil despite the risk to their own lives. And this fighting back was really an expression of love stemming from a very deep awareness that we're actually more than a mere collection of fragmented individuals. Fighting back was reclaiming our humanity after it had been systematically taken from us, and that's what makes this day uh, and the siren that sounds here in Israel so powerful, at least for me, and I think that that really squares a circle. I think that is really the answer to how we can have a day commemorating the Shoah during the month of Nisan. Some argue, I think, more in the Haredi world that we should just not have that day or not recognize that day. 
And in most of Israeli society, it's an important day, but unfortunately, you know, often feels very sad. I think the way to kind of have our cake and eat it too is to remember that this is not a sad day, but a day to celebrate the heroism of those who actually did manage to break free of the psychological uh, subjugation that the Nazis imposed on us and fight back physically and actually draw some Nazi blood. No, I agree. And I really appreciate your take on that. A couple of things, you know, you said that, you know, the month of Nisan is meant to be about happiness, that the days of Nisan, you know, are meant to spur great joy. And certainly the days we commemorate are reflective of that. Uh, You know, even with Pesach, you know, two of the names of that Chag, uh, outside of Chag Matzah and Chag Pesach, are Chag Herut and Chag Aviv. You know, the holiday of freedom and the holiday of spring, which is all about renewal, it's about growth, it's about life. Um, And yeah, I agree with you that I think most, uh, certainly in the United States amongst uh, American Jews, but I would even suggest for many Israelis, um, we are conditioned and in some ways more obvious than others to really focus on the Shoah in a very somber capacity. And even, and that makes uh, the way that you described, uh, you know, Yom HaShoah and what we're really meant to do or what we could be doing, that makes it all the more difficult, if not um, something that's really never entered the thought process of most Jews because of that. Uh, So I think that's a very important point. And, um, you know, really to take something, like you said, that was very dehumanizing, certainly very catastrophic, but to really embrace what we were able to do even under those circumstances uh, as a way to empower us rather than to make us feel less than something else. Right, the conditions the Nazis created should actually lead us to celebrate the heroism of those who were able to break free. Mm -hmm. And I think some of us lose sight of that. I think a lot of us lose sight of the fact that this was a very methodical system that was meant to slowly but surely dehumanize us and basically reduce us to something that was related to as less than human. And of course, I'm not denying that there were other acts of heroism aside from armed resistance. There's levels, you know, there are levels of heroism. I would say that armed resistance was the highest level, and that is what we celebrate on Yom HaZikaron, the Shoah Lagvura, the actual sure. armed resistance against the Nazis. Yeah, certainly given the circumstances and like we've discussed, and certainly how most people relate to this event, both Jew and non-Jew alike, you know, as just pure, um, you know, systematic slaughter with the idea that the majority of victims did not fight back or went very willingly to their deaths that uh, you know to express in such a way in which you did is really the exact opposite of that and to our point earlier meant to be empowering um, as a reflection of that experience right so uh, i guess with that we can move on to the next state which is yom azikaron for the fallen soldiers of israel mm-hmm. which is supposed to be celebrated, we can say, on the 4th of ER, but uh, will be celebrated next week, actually, on the 2nd of ER, which I actually think is very fitting, because the second day of ER is the yurt site of both Moshe Barzani and Meir Feinstein, two boys, one from the Lechi, the the fighters for the freedom of Israel, and the other from the Etzel, the Irgun Svailumi, the national military organization. Mm-hmm. These boys were together 
you know, on death row in the Jerusalem Central Prison and actually chose to blow themselves up in their jail cell rather than allow the British to execute them in Jerusalem. They didn't want the British to execute a Jew in Jerusalem. Uh, until that point, any Jew executed by the British regime had been executed in either Akko or in Cairo, in the case of the two Eliaos, but Jerusalem had not been defiled in that way. Uh, so these boys had actually, first, when they had, had the grenade smuggled into the prison inside an orange, their, their original plan was to blow themselves up together with the British guards and the hangmen uh, right before their execution. But because the rabbi, Rabbi uh, Goldman, had insisted on being present for the death, they had to scrap that plan and decided to just blow themselves up before they were taken to the gallows. So I think it's very fitting that this year we'll be commemorating Yom HaZikaron on the actual day that uh, Moshe Barzani and Mayor Feinstein left our world together. Yeah, and I mean, similar to what we were just describing with Yom HaShoah, it's, um, we're obviously human beings, and as Am Yisrael, we are very close-knit, you know, we share a very strong collective bond, uh, and certainly the idea of our brothers and sisters, you know, being taken away from us in such a way, whether it was the systematic destruction of the Shoah or falling in battle, um, either prior to the state being established or subsequently after. Um, this kind of goes back to what we said, that it's, it's difficult as human beings to really take something that at its base and primal level is very upsetting, is very disturbing, is very saddening, and to make it something empowering, to make it something... Um, Inspiring isn't the right word, but um, certainly to think about it in a way that puts us in a position of looking forward rather than looking back. And even I'm trying to struggle with coming up with the words to describe my feelings about this. But uh, given these two subjects and the similarity in which we're describing them, I think uh, you have some idea of what I'm trying to express. Right. Well, with Yom Zikaron specifically, I think there's some challenges that we need to address and which will require us to go deeper and unpack some of this stuff. Because right now there is a push, not a very large push, but there's a push from certain groups to make Yom Zikaron a day not only for Israelis, but also for Palestinians to, you know, remember and mourn those lost in the conflict. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with there being a day for that. I actually think it might be a good idea to put a date on our calendar where both Jews and Palestinians can feel the loss and recognize each other's pain. But I don't think that date should be Yom Zikaron. Because Yom HaZikaron is about something very unique to the Jewish experience. It's about commemorating the fact that after so many centuries, living as defenseless victims uh, in exile, a spirit of valor reemerged within our people, like this warrior spirit that was so central to our identity in ancient times, but for the most part was lost to us thousands of years ago following the destruction of our national framework, that returned. So in a sense, I, I look at Yom Zikaron also not as a sad day, although it's obviously sad for each family that has suffered loss. But on a national level, on a macro level, I think it's really a day to be thankful for the fact that this spirit of valor and heroism really came back into our people, something that we hadn't had. And I'm not sure most people 
most outsiders, uh, most non-Jews can appreciate what that means to us because our experience is so unique. Like we are a people that for so many centuries was so easily persecuted and abused and even massacred. And as we said, culminating with, with, with the Holocaust, um, with this kind of like faint memory that like once upon a time we were warriors capable of fighting back against their enemies, but we didn't see that. That wasn't our reality. In fact, even in the Torah, one of the features or curses of exile is cowardice, just like not being capable of basic defense. So, you know, after being so beaten and broken uh, for so many centuries, and uh, experiencing so much traumatic persecution um, to, to the point that, you know, most of us really, like the overwhelming majority of Jews around the world became psychologically incapable of defense. I mean, that's something that I think uh, is often underappreciated, maybe even among Jews today, because, you know, maybe we take the state of Israel for granted or we, we take the rebirth of, of a Jewish military force for granted, but this is something that's very recent in our history. And I think that the fact that now we have young Jews who fall willingly because they put the collective before the personal, because you know, they make a choice to fight for, for the defense of their people and the liberation of their land, and they're able to die on a battlefield by choice, that's what really contextualizes this day and gives it meaning that's unique to our people, that's unique to our history, that's unique to our identity. And if we're honest about that, this isn't really a day that we can share. Like this is something that's very unique to our story, to our experience. And, and I think that's been ruined or it's in the process of being ruined by adding terror victims. I think that's, a pro, you know, the idea of being able to share Yom HaZikaron with Palestinians is really very much the result of us taking it from, you know, honoring the heroism of those who made the choice to die fighting and kind of already expanding it, broadening it to include those who just like happened to be on the wrong bus at the wrong time or in the wrong pizza shop at the wrong time and were killed as a result of this conflict. And again, I think we should have a day to remember those people. And I think that, you know, obviously the pain of those losses are significant. And I think that's a day that maybe we can share with the Palestinians. But the day to remember fallen soldiers is something very unique to us. And again, you know, for me, Yom HaZikaron is not merely a sad day to remember fallen loved ones. It's a day to stand in awe of the selfless heroism demonstrated by so many fighters who made a conscious decision to give their lives for the national rebirth and freedom of Israel. It's a day of deep appreciation for the fact that after so many generations of vulnerability and cowardice and exile, the creator of the world, the author of history, has infused a spirit of gvura, a spirit of valor into our people and given us these like giant courageous souls willing to sacrifice personal safety and even life in order to take responsibility for our collective future. For me, that's even miraculous. And that miracle cuts through the sadness of the day and really helps us to build our emunah, build our appreciation, build our perspective to, to really grasp how far we've come in the last century, century and a half. Yeah, I mean, just from this conversation alone, I know uh, there's quite a few things I'm going to be working on myself for uh, this coming week and next week with, uh, I want to say reconditioning, but certainly to open myself up 
to that way of thinking uh, for what it's meant to be, but also um, to really appreciate it on a deeper level. So, you know, obviously I thank you for that as far as the way you're describing it. Uh, and yeah, as it pertains to Israelis and Palestinians, I definitely think there needs to be a day for us to come together. Um, I certainly share your opinion that Yom Hazikaron is not the appropriate day to do that. Uh, and to be frank, I'm not even sure if um, revolving it around uh, the loss of loved ones and the conflict is maybe even the best way to do it either. Um, you know, I think a lot of what we've been dealing with in terms of our conflict and our trauma uh, is very much about looking back, uh, certainly looking to either blame or isolate the other for the conditions that we each find ourselves in. And that's not to say that there isn't any truth to that one degree or another. It's to say that if we are looking to build a shared future together, one in which we can agree on certain fundamental principles of perception of reality, uh, you know, I think the more effective or certainly a better way to do that is something that's much more forward thinking. That's not to say that uh, the loved ones we have in our lives, that some of which are here, some of which are gone, uh, can't be a part of that in some way. But at the same time, I would be cautious to have our, uh, you know, the first of the many days we hope to create as part of our shared unity to be reflective of who has killed who or who has died under what circumstances. So for me personally, I would look for something a little more positive and, uh, you know, something that which is, uh, I don't want to say more parv, but certainly that would be easier for people to break down their own psychological and emotional barriers to embrace. Right. I think there's really a lot to discuss here. Um, first of all, there are levels of martyrdom, right? And, you know, I, I think part of what's happened in recent years is that our media has transformed this day from a day that strengthens us to a day that weakens us. And I think we need to be conscious of this and careful of this. You know, there are levels of martyrdom and lumping terror victims together with fallen soldiers really blurs the distinction between those levels and kind of just transforms everyone into a victim. And it shifts the national focus of the day from the awe we're meant to feel at the self-sacrifice demonstrated by our heroes to like the personal pain of those who suffered loss. And of course, there needs to be a place for that personal pain. And, and of course, we have to be sensitive to that pain on our side, certainly, and, and even I think on the Palestinian side. But, you know, as much as we feel the pain of those lost through acts of terror, and as much as we recognize that on some level they're killed as Jews due to a conflict that dominates this chapter of our people's story, we also need to recognize a difference between the passive victim who is in the wrong place in the wrong time and the active fighter who made a conscious decision to risk his life for something bigger than himself. And I think that Yom Zikaron is really about the latter. It's about mm -hmm. the active fighter who made a conscious decision to risk his life for something bigger than himself. And we should, of course, you know, I think have another day for remembering the victims of this conflict and whether or not that is a day we can share with Palestinians could be a great discussion in and of itself. I think clearly um, we need to be seeking ways to grow past our one-sided narratives and um, our one-sided understandings of the conflict. We need to offer Palestinians genuine inclusion in our society. It's obviously clear that we're not gonna divide this land. The two-state paradigm is a failed paradigm. You know, we gotta live here together. So it really is crucial that we initiate real discussions about how we're going to live together in a single state between the river and the sea, 
but you know, as I said, and you said, like, Yom Zikaron is probably not the day to share. No, and just to clarify, um, I don't want my comments to be interpreted that I don't think um, remembering the victims of our conflict can never be a day that's shared between Israelis and Palestinians. I just think that's a very difficult place to start. Um, for that reason, it may actually be the right one. Um, I'm a little skeptical about that, or at least just because of how fragmented and um, you know the sad state of our relationship currently is. Uh, I think what might be a little more beneficial as far as building those roads, building those bridges, certainly laying a foundation in which more difficult, more complicated, more sensitive issues can be built upon them needs to start with something that's a little easier and that uh, both peoples can get behind um, in a less sensitive fashion. Right. So, yeah. So, so at the very least, I think that right now we should be focusing on making this day exclusively about those Hebrew fighters who willingly gave their lives in the struggle to free our country from England, from Jordan, from Egypt, from Syria, as well as those who fell fighting in the wars to defend our people and homeland ever since. And we should be emphasizing the spirit of valor and contrasting it with our experiences, helpless victims in exile for so many centuries. That is what would clarify this day. And I think that should be our focus. And again, like Yom HaShoah, making Yom HaZikaron about the heroism and not about victimhood, I think would really help it to find its proper place. And, and again, this, at the very least, this discussion needs to take place. I mean, there are people out there who might disagree with us, but um, there needs to at least be this realization, meaning Yom HaShoah doesn't really work in the month of Nisan if it's a sad day. And it was, of course, established specifically to remember the heroism. And there's been a lot of criticism. You know, in, in recent years, there's been a lot of criticism of this kind of Zionist tendency to, like, negate the diaspora and to express shame at, you know, the victimization of our people and, and the cowardice and to try and kind of, like, create this, like, quote-unquote, new Jew. And, and I get where that criticism is coming from. But I think on a deeper level, some of that stuff might have been right, you know, that we were returning to a way that we had been, you know, before we were so traumatized by so many, so many successive instances of persecution and oppression. Sure. And uh, I might be jumping the gun here as far as what we you know, want to discuss as part of this conversation, but... Um, in the beginning, you had mentioned uh, dealing with perceptions of these Chagim, of these days. Um, we kind of just talked about two of them as far as Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikaron. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting or certainly also needs to be unpacked, both uh, within a, an Israeli context, a Jewish context, and certainly uh, you know, the context of uh, the world around us, is considering the sequence of these events and that they happen to fall in line in the same month, for those who may not be aware or not attuned to what these days are meant to represent and certainly how our calendar works and how we engage in memory, uh, the very fact that we have a day that is focused on the Holocaust, which is right before a day that focuses on the IDF, which then focuses on Independence Day, can very much give the perception that the only reason the state exists is because of the Shoah, because of the Holocaust, and certainly the IDF force that willed our state into being, or certainly currently protects it in its current state. Right. I think that there definitely is that danger. I think just the transition, like, you know, these successive days, 
I really like this season. For me, this is a really powerful, probably one of the most powerful seasons of the year. Uh, first of all, I find it very inspiring. I think that if Jews in modern times have been able to do things that are so historically significant that they actually put new holidays, new festivals, you know, or dates of commemoration or whatever onto our calendar, that means that you and I can also do things that are significant enough in our lives to put new festivals on our calendar. So that in and of itself, this idea of Jewish history being alive again, after kind of being on pause for so much time. I mean, the, the real story of Am Yisrael, I know that like we had history, you know, we, not only did we have history in exile, but we even had very heroic histories of trying but failing to liberate our land, you know, in almost every century uh, between losing Jerusalem and regaining her, you know, a little over 50 years ago. But really the, the fact that we have political independence in our land, we have an army that can defend us, we have uh, all of the challenges of statehood and are actually adding new festivals to our calendar, that for me is very you know, significant and very inspiring. Like, I think that that's like really, really incredible to be living in a generation, to be living in a chapter of our people's story where it's so real that like we're actually able to do things that add festivals to our calendar. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, when I'm teaching, you know, I work predominantly with young professionals. You know, one of the things that I try to get them to think about and certainly to change the paradigm in which they are approaching this subject and certainly the idea of what Israel means to them and how it fits into their life is, you know, more or less, I ask them, like, can you imagine, you know, the Maccabeam, you know, fighting the Seleucid Greeks, you know, more than 2000 years ago, you know, could you imagine that they were thinking at any point that, forget centuries, but millennia from now, that their people would still remember them, commemorate them, honor them, mm -hmm. and make it central to the theme of our people and what we fought for and what we stand for. And, you know, just as a reminder that we still do that today. We add days marking, you know, the Maccabeam of the present. Um, you know, whether you want to call them Maccabeam or otherwise, it's a different conversation. But certainly the idea that we all have a role to play, not just in our past, but in our present and our future. Right. Where we are going and that they can really shape that direction. Uh, I have found to be something that people tend to respond to or they can then more clearly understand why you know, forget why the state is so important, but their connection to it and the role that they are playing in its direction. I think education, that's a good point. And you, and you find that this is something a lot of the participants in your programs are able to connect to and internalize in a real way. Yeah, I think a lot of them, because when they're entering this or when they're entering these type of spaces, um, even though for many of them, they don't think of Israel as something theoretical, that it is tangible, it is personal, it's familial. Um, at the end of the day, just considering all the names in which and the movements that we're following, that we're building upon, uh, you know, we uh, hold in such high esteem and, you know, rightfully so. And so I think for a lot of people, there's either a combination of not feeling that they can measure up to what, um, you know, the heroes of our past have done, or just given the current circumstances that we find ourselves in, just not really sure how they should be writing the next chapter or where do we go from here? And so at least when this is introduced as sort of a paradigm shift of how they're thinking about it, not only is it a way just to more personalize it for themselves and to understand the link that they represent in our sort of collective history and our people, 
but for them to start thinking about more deeply, what can my role be? Rather than, okay, we have a state, we have an army, these are our current boundaries. Uh, rather than just looking all the way in the past and be like, okay, all the you know, quote unquote good stuff was already achieved, all the important stuff. It's a way to really change that in their minds to say, there's still actually a lot left to be done. And it's not fair nor necessarily accurate to say one is more important than the other. You know, that's something that could be better understood as time goes on. But until you participate, until we get there, you'll never know what your true potential was to be a character in this story. I think it's very well said. And I'm glad that that's, you know, that you're able to have a real educational impact with that. You know, that's probably one of the reasons why we refer to your work as like this gateway drug to Jewish national consciousness. Yeah, I always appreciate that nickname. But uh, moving on to Yom Atzma'ut, I think this is also a day that, uh, for me, Yom Atzma'ut, you know, Israel Independence Day, the 5th of VR, although this year because of Shabbat, it'll be, I think, on the 3rd. That is, for me, one of the most important dates on our calendar, just because it's the date that the nation of Israel really came back to life. Like it's the date that we declared independence for the first time in so many centuries. And I think that's a day that's significant, not only for us. I mean, right now it's an important national day for us, but I'm hopeful and optimistic that in the future, it'll be a date that the whole world can celebrate once Israel really does live up to our mission and uh, you know the vision of our prophets and what we've always told ourselves that when we come back to life, we're gonna make this world a better place. And I'm hoping that in the future, Yom Atzma'ut will be really celebrated, will be celebrated by the whole world as the date that this nation that um, led humanity somewhere better came back to life. Yeah, Bezrat Hashem. Um, you know, one thought I had for you, uh, you know, we've been talking up to this point, uh, at least in part, of how American Jewry tends to think about some of these days and certainly the paradigm in which they're living in. Um, I would actually like to ask you, when it comes to Israelis, how would you say is that similar or different? And in the context of Yom Atzmaut, I ask because at least the way I have experienced it in the United States, um, whether that's through, you know, sort of the official representatives of the Jewish community, whether it's by um, Jews who are active in that community or those who are just sort of passively going on their journey, but they're still aware of what's going on. Uh, you know, we tend to observe Yom Atzmaut in the United States really just as Israel's Independence Day, but never actually asking the question or really marking the specifics of how exactly did we come, become independent? From whom did we become independent? Under what circumstances? And with that, what did we become independent to do? And I feel like we're kind of stunting our collective growth when we don't ask these questions or we don't dig deeper into it. Um, so I'm curious to know for you, when it comes to the average Israeli, how many of them really know about the war that we fought against the British Empire? Is there kind of this um, conscious or even subconscious uh, feeling that, you know, we have a state because of what the UN did, because of partition, or, you know, this was the culmination of the Zionist project that the British were actually a beneficial part of and so forth? I don't think what you just asked can be reduced to one question. I think that's a series of questions. Um, yes. But most Israelis are definitely aware of our anti-British struggle. Um, that was like a nine-year urban guerrilla war, essentially, 
that was first initiated by the Lechi, the Lochamech Rut Yisrael, the fighters for the freedom of Israel. Uh, eventually, they were able to drag other sectors of the population, like the Etzel, and even for a very, very, very brief period, the like Haganan, the Palmach, into the fight against the British. But it was really primarily, I would say, the Lechi's war. It was the war of the Stern Group against the British, and eventually, four or five years after that war began, the Etzel under Menachem Begin's leadership joined the fight for the final four years. So Israelis are aware of that, but there is a lot of confusion over what we're celebrating. What was our war of independence? You know, I think a part of this is because one war really ended on the day the next one began. So the, the question is, what, what war are we actually celebrating on Yom Atzmaut? Like, who are the heroes? Who is the antagonist? And I think if we really unpack it, we find that the day we celebrate the 5th of VR which, you know, fell out, you know, 1948 on May 14th, was the day that the British left. That's what we're celebrating, that the British left Palestine after roughly nine years of conflict with Jewish underground forces. And the British even said, you know, in their final white paper on their way out, that they were leaving Palestine as a result of Jewish terrorism. So we, the Jews, defeated the British in an armed struggle and that is what we celebrate on Yom Atzmaut. Now, the next day, on the 6th of VR, we were invaded by several Arab states. Uh, two of those Arab states, Transjordan and Egypt, were armed, trained, and led by British officers. And those two armies were able to conquer territory from us. Now, that war ended on the 9th of Adar. Uh, but we don't celebrate the 9th of Adar. The 9th of Adar is not a holiday on our calendar. The 5th of Iyar is the holiday. Like we celebrate Yom Atzmaut on the 5th of Iyar. Uh, so I would say that was a war we won. We won the war against the British. And even before the British left, for a period of roughly half a year, there had also been a conflict within Palestine between the Jewish and Arab populations, right, that the neighboring Arab states jumped in on when they invaded. Uh, but all these conflicts need to be separated. I would say the big losers of that period were the Palestinians. We didn't lose as badly as they did, but we lost the war that began the day after our victory, meaning we defeated England, we beat the British, Yom Atzmaut celebrates our victory over England on the 5th of VR, the day they left our country, and then beginning on the 6th of VR, May 15th, 1948, another war began between Israel and the Arab armies that were invading us, invading the territory we had forced the British to leave. And in that war, we lost. We lost Judea and Samaria, what became known as the West Bank. We lost the Gaza region, and we lost... Jerusalem, or at least the most historically significant parts of Jerusalem. And in all of these places, including the old city of Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish populations were forcibly expelled. Now, because we um, had such a traumatic history up till this point, it makes sense that we might have confused survival with victory. And we survived the War of 1948, and that's true. Um, but the big winners of that war were definitely Jordan and Egypt, because they got bigger. They acquired new territory that they had won on the battlefield. So they're the winners. You can't say that 
Israel won a war, certainly not a Zionist war, if we don't have Zion when the smoke clears. The fact that we lost Jerusalem in that war, uh, I think, is evidence enough that we didn't actually win. But we had beat the British, and we did declare a state, and that's worth celebrating. So I think the fifth of VR is significant because of our victory over England and our attainment of political independence for the first time in many, many centuries. But the conflict that broke out on the next day, that 1948 war, um, we didn't win that. And a lot of us might just think of it not as a victory, not just because we had survived, but also because there's another party, the Palestinians, which lost a lot worse than us. Yeah, I mean, I think our conflict and, you know, this is reflective of our people and our history is pretty unique, or at least I think it's very different than what is traditionally understood um, to kind of flow with the natural patterns of history, you know, without being obviously very familiar with every single uh, independence movement or decolonization project that countries have gone through throughout history, at least to look at from an American perspective, you know, the way, in my view, most Americans view Independence Day is, you know, this was the day that the revolution was declared against the British. And therefore, this idea that the Declaration of Independence comes first, and then the fight for that independence comes after. And obviously, in the case of Israel, it's a little different, because our revolt against the British wasn't so declared, because it was underground movements that were not part of the establishment issue of doing it. And once independence was declared by the establishment, that particular conflict had already been won. Like you said, the British had already left. And then two separate conflicts were obviously part of this. As you mentioned, civil war in Palestine between Jews and Arabs, and then a transnational war between Israel and the surrounding Arab countries. So I think that adds to sort of the layers and the confusion. And that's on top of you know people not always having the highest IQ of history and sequence of events. It's important to unpack these things. It's important to really understand what it was that we had lost uh, and what it was that we had attained and what it is that we're actually celebrating. Uh, and this is something that, of course, you know, it's worth dedicating a show to demystify because it is so confusing for so many people that when we celebrate Yom Ma'ud, we celebrate a victory against England. You know, England is the bad guy of the story of Yom Ma'ud and the Lehi, and maybe to a slightly lesser extent, the Etzel, are the real heroes of Yom Ha'atzmaut. Now, after that, the war that follows, you know, the IDF versus, you know, various Arab armies and the Palestinians, etc., whole other conflict and not one we wanted. But Yom Ha'atzmaut is our victory over England, and that's something that we should get straight. And really, the loss of the 1948 war really takes us to this last day of significance, at least for now, because, you know, like I said, you and I can still do things and all of our listeners can do things to put new festivals on our calendar. But the 28th of ER, Koach ER, Yom Yerushalayim, commemorates the Six-Day War, you know, the day that we finally returned to Jerusalem uh, after 19 years of barely surviving in this, like, you know, impoverished state and truncated borders, after being able to survive in that situation for almost two decades, we finally, I, I mean, it's, it's more than just, you know, attaining more territory or coming back to Jerusalem, although that's important. It's also, you know, the miraculous nature of that war, meaning humanity witnessed a biblical style miracle smack in the middle of the 20th century. And uh, it really, I think, reaffirmed the Jewish interpretation of scripture 
and the Jewish understanding of history. And it showed us that our return home was miraculous. I think that the Six Day War and what we celebrate on Yom Yerushalayim really demonstrates the miraculous nature of that war and of the entire project, you know, of this entire return design. You know, and I think it just really changed the meaning of all of this. I think for a lot of people, it changed what this meant. It wasn't just like a bomb shelter for persecuted Jews. You know, it was something of deep historical significance. The nation of Israel, the children of Israel, have finally come home after thousands of years of exile. Yeah, and I mean, even as you were saying, from top to bottom, you know, the changes were cataclysmic and, you know, uh, there was no way not to recognize them, especially with the passage of time. Yeah, and not even to the point that you had mentioned, uh, you know, it's beyond just Israel's borders changed. You know, if you look at how Israel was treated within a Cold War context between the United States and the Soviet Union, that was forever changed from the Six-Day War. How the Arab governments treated Israel forever changed. Uh, even within Israeli society, um, you know, it definitely unleashed a new spirit of, you know, who we are who we're supposed to be, what we can be. And I think in many ways that was probably most deeply felt and represented by how the opinion of diaspora Jewry changed after 1967, whether it's referred to as now as, you know, sort of the awakening of Soviet Jewry. Um, but even Jews in the United States who were living under far better conditions than their brethren in the USSR began to think about themselves as Jews in the state of Israel in a very, very different way. Um, and that was obviously very reflective with an increase in Aliyah that you've seen from areas that prior to, you know, Jews just weren't coming home from those places and Six-Day War changed all that. Right, absolutely. And I, and I think even within the state of Israel, I think even our understanding of Torah changed. Um, you know, before the Six-Day War, there was something called religious Zionism, which was like less religious than the Haredim and less Zionist than, than even the labor Zionists. But Suddenly, after the Six-Day War, we had you know, this new national religious camp that was really the full expression of Torah and Jewish national consciousness, arguably more Torani than the Haredi community, and uh, certainly more deeply nationalist, at least in a Jewish sense, than the Likud. Of course, that's not the finished product. You know, we still need to incorporate the universalism. I mean, that's one of the big projects of how you build Hebrew civilization and you rebuild Hebrew civilization. You know, you need to um, have that perfect balance between the Kodesh, as Rav Kook says, the Kodesh, the Ummah, and the Enoshut, the Torah, the national consciousness and identity, and the universalism, the concern for humanity. All of that needs to really be fully expressed together. But certainly after the Six-Day War, there was a tremendous leap forward in terms of being able to synthesize what at the time appeared to be almost diametrically opposed to like, you know, the camp that was like committed to Torah and the camp that was committed to Israel's national rebirth suddenly merged into one. And I think that, you know, just understandings of Torah returned to what they had been prior to the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the most beautiful parts for me personally, as, you know, not only just within my lifetime, but certainly looking at history and seeing where we're going um, that's been very remarkable for me to see what, you know, we might call like the synchronization of the Hebrew identity that, you know, if we're looking all the way back to, you know, the first Aliyah and when Zionism, you know, was actually being enacted as a political platform, 
the Haredim of the old Yeshuv and the Chalutzim, the secular, um, some atheist Zionists, uh, they had very little in common or very little that they thought would ever bring them together. Uh, if you want to think about it in that historical context, then even um, after the state was established, where you had Jews coming home from every corner of the earth who never in the past 2,000 years spoke the same tongue, forget even that, just never would have had a conversation with each other. And we now see, you know, these are people who are now marrying, who are having children to the point where, you know, I say this is a great thing. We don't know who is from where anymore. Or where, when I say that, I mean, the most recent diasporic experience uh, is being reduced. And this is part of that, you know, whether you want to call it synthesizing or synchronization or just, um, you know, the return of our people into a singular form. Uh, it's been quite, you know, amazing to see not only historically, but even in the present today and how that's shaping the country moving forward. It's an incredible chapter of our people's story to be part of. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we are really fortunate to be living in these times and to be able to participate in history when history is so alive and exciting. Yeah, maybe that's what adds to the pressure of it. You know, as I alluded to before, where a lot of people that come through the programs that I run, and I'm sure young Jews that you've met, you know, I think many of us are not really sure what to do anymore because certain things have already been accomplished. Things that we believe or certainly have been reinforced in our minds were like the pinnacles of Zionism and the pinnacles of Jewish re-embodiment. And when all that happens, and if you're looking at all of that in the rear view mirror, the question then becomes, what am I supposed to do? What is my role? And even if I have one to play, how can I possibly live up to what those who came before me accomplished? And to what we've been talking about today with these holidays, and certainly the idea of adding new holidays to our calendar, and being a part of a story that is still yet to be written and many things that need to change for the better, those present those opportunities for us. We just need to really embrace them and be a part of them. Right, no, absolutely. I think it's an important conversation and I hope these conversations are really taking place uh, in many Jewish spaces because you know th these days, the more we demystify them, the more we unpack them, the deeper we go, the more meaning they really do have. And the more they can teach us, and the more they can inspire us to go and be the type of people who will add more dates to our calendar. Well, uh, Justin Ellis, I really thank you for coming on the show. I wish you and yours a Chag Sameach. Yom Atzimut's coming up, so really a, a Chag Atzimut Sameach. And again, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, doing this 50th episode with me. No, pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. And certainly, uh, you know, Yom Hotspot Samaf to uh, you and your family and your community as well. And uh, I look forward to all that we continue to do in the future. This is Yudha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine. You're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. You can check out the show notes at visionmag.org backslash the next stage 50.